We're starting into Daniel chapter 3 today. Would you stand with me on all of our campuses? Grab your Bibles, whether they be electronic or they be old-fashioned paper. I've got mine up here. We've been looking at the Word of God. By the way, this is actual, factual, uh, geographic location type stories in the Bible. Some of you may wonder. Today we're going to go into one of the most famous stories of all of biblical history and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the fire. And uh, you may think, well, that's just a story because we're used to Marvel uh, movies and uh, superhero TV shows and video games where they're fictional characters. Friends, this is not fiction, it's truth. And so what we're going to read, not only is truth that historically happened, but also it's a living and active today. It's called the Word of God. Second Timothy talks about all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching and training and rebuke. It helps so that the people of God can do every good work. And so for us, we're looking at a 2,000-plus-year-old, perhaps 3,000-year-old text that actually is relevant in 2017. So it's powerful, and it's powerful as we present it to God and ask him to make it alive to us. So we're going to read... But I want to ask you to think in terms of, God, make this alive for me today. Daniel chapter 3, this is what it says. King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. And it set up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And then he brought messengers, messages excuse me, to the high officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the statue he had set up. So all these officials came and stood before the king, the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the herald shouted, people of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. May the word of God become alive to us today. Amen. Go ahead and sit on down. Daniel chapter 3 is a powerful turning point. Last week we looked at the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had and how Daniel interpreted it and it became a moment for God to use Daniel in a supernatural way to, to expose not only what the dream was, but what it meant. And it was of a statue and that statue had a missile, a rock cut from a mountain, not by human hands, that came and destroyed the whole statue. And it was how God's power is greater than even empires that are multiple centuries Long, And it was the purpose of the dream was to cause Nebuchadnezzar to humble himself before the God of the universe so that perhaps God would not smash his kingdom apart. But here we find in the very next chapter, Nebuchadnezzar has amnesia. <laughs> he has forgotten the purpose of the dream. And instead of taking that purpose and bowing his heart before God, what he does is he actually builds the statue. Now, this is the ultimate in hubris. It's a prideful moment where he, he literally builds this statue, 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide, overlaid with gold. It was most likely wooden, overlaid with gold over the whole thing. And he expects everyone to come and worship. This is the call to worship in your notes. And by the way, if you have your bulletins, we're utilizing our bulletins every week and we have the notes with fill in the blanks and scriptures and stuff inside the bulletin. So I want to encourage you to use those each and every week. But this is a call to worship. It's not a call to worship 
our God, but it's a call to worship. We're all made to worship something. We're born to uh, uh, worship our creator. We're born to to bow before something. We're, We're born to admire something larger than ourselves. So we're born to worship. And people want us to worship them. And Nebuchadnezzar has a pride issue. He wants everybody in the known world to worship him. But it's not just a pride issue for him, the purpose of the statue. It's also a a method to consolidate uh, unity and loyalty across the whole kingdom. So if he can get everybody worshiping one statue of who he is, then they're all on the same page and they don't begin to follow other things. And so he begins to call people to worship. He calls them to be a part of the story. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, in the previous chapter, are three Israelites. There were Daniel's friends. And when Daniel was promoted after interpreting the dream, he also promoted them. And as they were promoted, they now have a pressure on them to conform to what everybody else is doing. In 2017, I know this. There are pressures for you and me to direct our allegiances to the service and powers other than our God. True? There's forces in our culture that want us to give our allegiance, want to give our money, give our attention, our time, our service to other things. It's not just an Old Testament Babylon thing. It actually happens today. And when we are promoted, there are new expectations of us. There are expectations that are different than in the level we were in before. When I came to Emmanuel back in the early 1990s, I was a youth leader going to college, and I had certain expectations of me if I were to serve as a youth leader in the church. Later on, I became one of the youth pastors, and of course, now I had new expectations. Other people were watching me. Further into the future, I left and I went to North Central University. I was a teacher, and then I was in the administration, and eventually I was one of the vice presidents. And with each area of responsibility that I moved into, I had new expectations of me. I had to dress a particular way. I had to be at meetings I didn't have to before. I used to be able to skip some things that I could no longer when I got into a a certain level of of my responsibility. Then eventually when I came back here four years ago as the lead pastor, I have responsibilities now that I didn't have when I was a youth pastor. And so I have to be at more things and have more expectations of me than I did at my earlier levels. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had the same thing. They now step into a new role, and one of the new expectations is they were one of the provincial leaders. They were part of the call to worship. So this call goes out to consolidate the government and get everybody behind Nebuchadnezzar. And now Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in a role, their job expected them to be there. So they had to come to that place. And they were expected to worship. Now I want you to notice in this chapter, 11 times the word worship is used. Worship is the point of the chapter. Worship is the point of the story. There's a a choice to make about who we will worship. And there, as we're born to worship, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had a choice to make. And everybody else did too. And then, of course, the next part of the story is the cue to worship. Look at verse 5. When you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and other musical instruments, 
bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. So the expectation was for everyone to follow the musical cue and respond by bowing and worshiping King Nebi's statue. Every once in a while, I'll just call him Nebi instead of Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> it's a cue. It's uh, Pavlov's dog. You know, the, the great study of teaching a dog where you ring a bell and then he gets dinner and they keep doing it. Eventually, they ring the bell. There's no dinner there, but the dog is salivating because that's what he expects happens when the music plays. There is a sense to music that leads us somewhere. Do you know music is powerful? It can take you places. Music is used by movies to get you into a particular mood. If it's supposed to be intense, the music gets louder and louder and more close together. And if it's peaceful and supposed to be a calm moment or a romantic moment, the music goes a particular way. And the music kind of guides us or cues us to think or feel a particular way. Music is used as a tool, as a cue to draw people in. So that's the cue to worship, and they were supposed to bow down. But the next part I want you to see is the cost of that worship, okay? In verse 6 it says, anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. So there's a cost. If you don't do what the music is telling you to do, then you will be thrown into a blazing furnace, immediate death. There's a consequence to it. I want you to know something. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they were there, they had obeyed thousands of expectations for their job. They went to work and they did things even they didn't want to do, but it didn't violate their oath before God or the scripture that they followed. So, so they, were, they were obedient people. We're not talking about protesters here. We're not talking about people that are objecting to the man. What we're talking about here are obedient, respectful people who have uh, boundaries, and their boundaries include what they would and would not worship. And for them to bow before the image even once, no matter what excuse they might give, would have destroyed their witness and broken their fellowship with God. What am I talking about? I'm talking about they knew what Exodus chapter 20, the Ten Commandments said. You know, our generation has forgotten some of the Old Testament, hasn't it? Even in the church, we forget that God has the Big Ten. Hello. He's got Big Ten Commandments. Look at Exodus chapter 20, verse 3. God says, you must not have any other God but me. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind, or an image of anything in the heavens, or on the earth, or in the sea. You must not, what? Bow down to them, or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am jealous, a jealous God, who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. So right there, these Hebrew boys, these Israelites, knew that when the music played, they were not allowed to bow if they were gonna be a servant of the Most High. And the three had a choice of who they would worship. So the music plays, and everyone bows to worship the statue but these three guys. And then the snitches tattle on them. Hello, how many of you know what a snitch is? Any of you ever been tattled on at work before or at home? Hello. 
When somebody tattletales on you, it doesn't feel so good, right? And it's one thing when we're children. It's another thing when we're adults. Somebody's tattling on you. They're watching to see you make one mistake. You make that one mistake, they go and tattle on you. And this is what the tattletellers said. Look at verse 12. But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue you have set up. So they're tattling. They're not making them look good. You know what? It's a, it's a fact of life. We're going to have people that tattle on us, that don't have our best interests in mind. How many are we're going to have haters? It's just going to happen. Get over it. It's part of humanity. People's hearts are evil. They want you out of the way so they can be promoted. Then Nebuchadnezzar, says in verse 13, flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. And when they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I have set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? Be careful what you say, Nebi. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Friends, I want to talk to you about moving from what if to even if faith. See, they were in a place where they knew what would happen and they're brought before the king, and the king gives them another chance, and instead of telling him what a lousy leader he was, they still used respectful language and said, your majesty, they didn't get defensive, and there was something happening inside of them that did not depend on the outcome. They were gonna live this one way no matter what happened. So they knew God is powerful and able to deliver them from the flames. But their faith was not going to depend on his answer the way they wanted it. They were going to follow God no matter what. It's even if faith. Too many people today, we, we have commercialized faith. I'll follow God if you do this for me. I'll, I'll follow you if you heal my loved one who is sick. God, I'll do this if. It's what if faith. If you do this, then I'll, I'll follow you. But even if faith is not dependent on the answer on the other side, there is something powerful in the difference between what if and even if. Our culture is full of people who have so much fear and anxiety today. 
individuals and parents who live in the fear of what ifs. They spend their time just worried all the time. And I'm just going to tell you, church, don't have what if faith. If you find yourself in anxiety, if you find yourself thinking through multiple scenarios and it dominating your days, then you're in what if faith and you need to move out of that where you begin to trust in God in everything, no matter what happens. And you're like, well, I don't know how to do that. I'm telling you, there are invitations throughout all of scripture to cast your cares on the Lord, to call out to him and he will answer. You need to talk. If you have fear, take your fears to the Lord and allow him to transform your fear into faith and trust. But when you begin to look at Facebook and the news and, and and the checkbook and everything else, you become dominated by what if realities and you leave God out of the equation. But instead, if we can learn to take our what ifs and bring them to God and leave them in his hands, knowing that even if, no no matter the outcome, we're gonna be okay because he's with us, then we can make our way through and lose the anxiety. Now you hear what I'm saying. Satan tempted Jesus by saying in Matthew chapter four, all these things I will give you if you bow down and worship me. See, the enemy is attempting to get us to bow to him in our daily experiences. And truth, faith, confesses the Lord and obeys him regardless of the consequences. How many know Jesus replied to him, the Lord says that I can't bow to anybody else. I worship one and one only God. So we must learn to settle our no matter what's, even if. Let me ask this question. In your life, this would be a good one to write down. What are the non-negotiables of your worship? What are the non-negotiables of your faith as a family? Are you going to be able to say your busyness is not going to rob your worship? The bills, the hectic activity, the concerns of people around us. I'm telling you today, the, one of the great pressures of the age is to not stay focused on worshiping God. There's been a transition over the last 20 years in the church world. That transition has moved in a good way in some respects and in a bad way in others. It used to be that Christians would go to church Sunday morning, Sunday school, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Tuesday prayer meeting, Saturday men's breakfast, and we were at church all the time. And that was a regular attender. Today's regular attender comes to church twice a month on a Sunday, if it's convenient. And what has changed? What's changed isn't necessarily the people. What's changed is we have more options outside of the church. In the age of information availability, we know about more opportunities and things at the lake and uh, things that we can sign our kids up for and sports and music and activities to go on vacation and, and get a cheap flight to Mexico for three days. And now we got so many more options that faith becomes something we fit around our conveniences. It's a difficulty for us as church leaders to even get people to commit to once or twice a month of serving. Why? Because people don't want to give up on their opportunity for other options if they pop up. And we fit faith around our convenience. 
I think that we have a new challenge. And that challenge is as parents, as leaders, as individuals, as empty nesters, to say to each other, what are our non-negotiables no matter what? We're going to grow in faith. We're going to stay connected to the kingdom of God. If we have kids in sports, we're not just going to be gone every weekend because that's what they say. But we're going to find a church in the town where we have to go to a game. And we're going to teach our kids to be in faith. Listen, if you're erratically attending church and you have kids in your house, you are training them to erratically attend church when they become adults. It becomes an option to them later on. I love it when I get like a 10% clap just because it's just like, ouch, please get off my toes, Pastor Nate. I don't like that. How many know it's okay? Speak the truth in love. We'll be okay. We'll be okay. You need to ask yourself, when the music is played, will I bow? When the cue is out there, am I bowing? There were three people in that great crowd that stood tall when everyone else bowed down. I'm not talking about the popular thing. I'm thinking about cross-cultural. It may not be popular. And your faith will often have to go through a test. Faith is often tested by fire. Look at verse 23. They didn't bow. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. Now, there was a furnace. It was probably two stories tall at least that they had do metal in, and they put fuel in, and they put metals in that would be melted in a fire, and they'd have a, an opening at the top, and they'd have several spots along the way going down that you could look and see how the fire was doing, and then there was a door at the bottom. And the rage of Nebuchadnezzar was crazy, so he had that fire built up extra hot, so much so that somebody died when they went towards the bottom door to check on him. How many of you have ever gotten close to a fire, a campfire or something, and there's a spot where you stop putting your hand out, right? Because you can feel the heat. So here Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are thrown into the fire. Eminent death is going to be there. But that fire for them was more than just a fire of life versus death. It was a test. They passed the test by not bowing. And there was a consequence to their test. That consequence really led them to a place where their faith was being tested. The fire or the struggle is real, isn't it? And you and I have our own fire that we live in. We have different levels of fire that we have. Problems, challenges, resistance, difficulties. And with each challenge we face, we grow through the fire, not in, in, a, in a way where we get away from the fire. We grow through it. And so God allows us to grow in our faith. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had gone through many fires before they got to this moment. And as they did, they were able to grow in their faith so they could face the big challenge. Some of you look at stories like this and you might think, man, there's no way my faith is strong enough like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's. I couldn't do that right now. I'm okay with that. What I'm not okay with is you saying, well, I'm just going to give up and quit. No, God is giving you tests, fire moments for your faith is tested 
so that you can grow strength in the battle or in the little fires that you may be in now so that you can face greater and greater fires as you move along. Faith being tested is a scriptural thing. James talks about don't be surprised when you go through difficulties and tribulations because those are normal. Your faith is being tested. It's, in a sense, on trial to decide whether or not it's real and it's growing. And friends, a faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. I would hope that when I get up to preach the gospel that I have gone through something before I preach hope to you out of the word. I have to go through my own fires as a pastor, not because uh, God hates me, but because God trusts me. And the more I go through, the more tested it is, the more he can trust me with. How big of a fire will it take for you to bow? Is it just somebody talked about you? You go through a difficult experience, is it gonna force you to bow? We need to learn to grow. Let's go back to the text, verse 24 and 25. Because in the fire, how many know there's a presence in the fire? It says, but suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound walking around in the fire unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god. Friends, I want you to know this. When you worship God before the test, he joins you in the fire. When you worship God before the test, he joins you in the fire. This is a powerful moment. Because right in the middle of the fire, Jesus shows up. There are many theologians who say it's Jesus. Some would say it's an angel. But how many know God was there with them? Our very name as a church is Emmanuel, which means God with us. He's with us. Jesus talked about how uh, where two or three are gathered together uh, as my followers. He says in Matthew 18, I am there among them. I don't know about you. But the greatest place for you and I to worship is in the fire. If you're going something through something right now and you're having a difficulty uh, putting things together and you're frustrated with yourself, you're frustrated with everybody around you, you're frustrated at God, you're frustrated at people, you're frustrated at the president, you're frustrated at the news, you're frustrated at Facebook, the best thing that you can do is not post something on Facebook. The best thing that you can do is stop and worship God and know that he joins you in your fire. You are not alone. Turn to the person next to you and say, you are not alone. You are not alone. He's with you. I don't know what your fire is today. I don't know what you're walking through. But I know this, that the promise is that he will with, be with you. Isaiah talks about how you walk through the fire, he's with you. The high waters, he's with you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. David, when he would sing his songs, he would sing to the Lord and he would sing his frustration to God. Read the Psalms. Lord, my enemy's coming in at me. And he would sing to God. Why is it that the wicked prosper? And he's looking at everybody else and he sings out of his honest opinions. 
And as he does, God joins his song. Look at how the Psalms end. He would say things like, yet will I trust you, my rock and my salvation. Uh, I, I gained a different perspective, he says in Psalm 73. There, I gained a different perspective when I saw that the wicked's end was destruction, but you have good things for those that follow me. I just want you to catch. If you're in the middle of the fire, you got to sing to God. Don't withhold it. Don't give your worship to Babylon or to Nebuchadnezzar. Don't let somebody else get your attention and get you off track. No, you need to turn your attention to the one who was and is and is to come. The one that was there in your mother's womb shaping you and forming you when you were there. The one that has a future and a plan and a hope for you. The one that knows the beginning of time from the end of time. Don't get caught up in the temporary and miss the fact that you have an opportunity in the fire to worship the Lord. Come on, somebody. We can worship him in the middle of the fire. And then there's an exit to the fire. You know, he didn't keep you in the fire. Thank you, Jesus. Even David was able to say in Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Don't say, though I stay there, walk through the valley of the shadow. Look at verse 26. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the most high God, come out, come here. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire, and then the high officers, officials, governors, and advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their heads was singed, and their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell a smoke. I don't know how you feel looking back over your shoulder, but how I know you're lucky to be where you are today by the grace of God. Even all the stuff you used to do that nobody knew about, and somehow you can still have relationships, you can still be a, a husband or a wife, or you can be a godly business person, you have those things, even though you knew what you were, it's because you went through the fire, but it didn't necessarily touch you permanently. And then, of course, not only does God do that, but he also helps others see what's going on inside of us. Did you know people are watching you? They're watching you. Some of you are like, but I tried to witness to them and they don't want anything to do with it. Yeah, but they're still watching you go through the same kind of fires they go through. And they're observing you and watching you. And what makes you different from them is not the experiences that you have. In fact, some of us want to believe that we're not gonna have problems when we're Christians. That's not true. The fires still come. What makes us different is while we go through our fires, a fourth person shows up. What makes us different is God gives us the strength to withstand the difficulties, that he gives us the power to stand up in the middle of it, as Paul says in Ephesians, to, after we've done everything, to stand. There's something powerful as they watch us. And look what Nebuchadnezzar does as he watches what happens with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Verse 28, then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. And therefore, I make this decree. 
If any people, whatever their race, nation, or language, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb, and their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. There is no other God who can rescue like this. I wish I could just preach this part today. I could do like a whole series just on that part of the story. But listen, when people are watching you, they may not give you the idea that they even believe you, and they might not. They might not believe the gospel as they've heard about it. But when they watch you and you come through the fire and you didn't lose your soul, you didn't lose your character, you're still a nice person, you still get up in the morning, you still work hard. Now they're watching you go, what on earth is up with her? And they will recognize the God you've been talking about before the fire. And they will be open to hearing about God for themselves after they see you go through the fire. See, don't be afraid of the fire. Embrace it. Bring it on. Trust God with your even if faith. And recognize that it's not about you. It's also about the people who are watching you. And they can see that the presence of God was in you through the whole thing. And they might be extra open on the other side to hear about the Jesus that has transformed your life. Too many people, too many people want to get away from problems. They want to get away from fire. They want to say, God, I thought that I wouldn't go through stuff as a Christian, but you've got to understand you become salt and light to the world around you. And he allows you to go through stuff. Maybe it has nothing to do with you. Maybe it has everything with, to do with the people that are watching you. In the end times, the furnace of opposition will be hotter and the pressure to conform will become stronger and stronger. Jesus said to the church of Smyrna and Revelation 2.10, don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. The devil will throw some of you into prison to test you, and you will suffer for 10 days. But if you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. Friends, we are living for something beyond the moment. It's not about the current challenge. It's about a crown of life laying ahead, and we can make it. In the last 100 years, more Christians have been martyred than in the first 1,900-plus years after Jesus' death. That means it's on the increase. People are dying, but Christians in their faith around the world are dying for a cause that's beyond this life, and they are gaining a crown of life. We will worship around the throne at one point with sisters and brothers in Syria who gave up their life because ISIS went after them. We're going to worship with believers in China and from around the world because they persevered and they found Jesus in their fire, and maybe they weren't delivered out of the moment, but he walk them through from this life to the next life and they have a future and a hope. I hope your heart is set on things eternal and to recognize that God is on the move around the world. This gospel works in South America. It works in Russia. It works in China, Australia, North Pole, South Pole. The gospel is real and he is with us in the middle of our fires. Can I get an amen church? He is with us. Man, I just want to keep preaching now. We're going to go into worship on all of our campuses today. 
with United Worship as we lead. Our worship teams are going to be on the platform in each of our campuses, and Pastor Mark's going to lead, and then each worship leader on the campus, and at the end, our campus pastors will come up and do what I'm doing, but I want to declare this today. As you look inwardly, you may need to evaluate if you've been following the wrong cue. Other gods are getting our attention. And turn your heart back to the one true God. We can also defiantly declare to the gods of the age, we will only serve the name that is above every name. As it says in Philippians that that name, every knee will bow to and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So whatever he leads us into, whatever fire we're in, even if we will worship only him. I wanna challenge you to do something in your fires today to get your eyes off of the neighbor around you or the people in the room or the desire to get your Big Mac at lunchtime and to instead begin to focus on the one who can walk you through and to worship him and him only. We've allowed extra time in our service today just to worship. Would you stand with me on all of our campuses?